I'm Dwight Bingham. Welcome to the Justice for All podcast show, where we discuss all things social and criminal justice related, from the front end to the back end, and everything in between. You have a right to remain silent, because anything you say can and will be held against you. You have a right to an attorney. If you cannot afford one, one will be appointed for you. You're in the self-incrimination protection zone, where there is no cruel and unusual punishment, no illegal search and seizure. The exclusionary rule has you covered. So sit back, relax, and become sold on this week's episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Justice for All podcast show. I'm DeWitt Bingham, your host. Thank you for tuning in to the show that discusses all things social justice and criminal justice, where the goals are to inform you, the American citizen, of your constitutional rights, to provide educational and occupational guidance to high school and college students, and to be a voice for change. I'm excited about today's show. Today's show is a special show because we have a dynamic special guest on today. The extravaganza are Heartland Community College speak out with Heartland Community College students continues as we talk about criminal justice and social justice while developing their communication, problem solving, critical thinking and technological skills. So without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I introduce to some and present to others, Miss Emma Noel. We like to show you a little love around here. Welcome to the show, Emma. Hi. Before I have you introduce yourself to our audience and do what we call check it in, you have had eight assignments, and today was actually the third exam. Mr. Bingham apologizes for opening the exam late today. (laughs) So I will take the blame for that so my audience understands what I'm talking about. I normally open the exam up at like 830 in the morning. So then they have all day to take it. Well, I didn't open the exam up today until two o'clock, man. So I I just feel terrible about that. So did you actually take yours yet, Emma? Not yet. Okay. I'll be doing that right afterwards, too. Okay. All right. Very good. So I appreciate you showing a brother some mercy. All right. So with that said, how's things going for you? Uh, this semester? Um, pretty good. It's been kind of a heavy load with all of the classes, but um, I got a new job at the library in town and I'm very happy with it and things have been going well. Oh, mm-hmm. awesome. What, are, what library are you working at? Um, I'm at Lexington. It's oh. a tiny town. Oh, okay. In Lexington. Yep. Yeah, yep. that's where the Lexington Minutemen are. Love, yep. love <laughs> Lexington. Okay, now I got to tell my Lexington story. I actually... <laughs> Love. Everybody knows that I'm just like a sports fanatic. I just love sports. And especially when high school playoff football rolls around, I go all over the state of Illinois. And one time I was going to watch Lexington because, you know, Lexington has a long history of good high school football. It's small school, I think, class Mm -hmm. 1A, class 2A. I get to the stadium. Of course, all the cars are parked around the stadium. I you know, knew that that was going to happen. You know, I was prepared for that. But what I wasn't prepared for, I saw a bus like on the track. And <laughs> lo and behold, some of the 
elderly people were getting off the bus that were coming from the elderly home. I was like, how awesome is that? Where if I was living in El- in Lexington and I was an elderly individual, they would come and pick me up and bring me to the high school playoff football game. Man, that is just awesome. Uh, and I think I think Lexington now they co-op with somebody don't oh, they? Oh, I can't even remember, but they do. It's another okay. town somewhere okay. nearby. Okay, okay. I was thinking it might have been Shinoa, but I can't remember. Mm. But uh, yeah, I always loved that. And then Lex- Lexington has such great people there. I, I, I remember as a probation officer, 35 years, we ve- I very seldom had anybody at Lexington, but that was my area, right? Mm. And so uh, I used to love to go there when I did have one one student because I loved the guy by the name of Mike Hawkins. He was oh. a he was a fabulous uh, brother. Loved talking mm-hmm. to him. He was just so down to earth mm-hmm. and so welcoming, you know. And mm-hmm. for an African American who is going into town, that has got to be like ninety nine percent Caucasian. You feel me, yeah. Emma? <laughs> He just made you feel like you was like you lived in a home with him. You know what I'm saying? So I, I really am appreciative of that. And so if you ever run into him, tell him that DeWitt said hello. Oh, I definitely will. All right. So how many credit hours are you taking? Well, I've got four classes. Okay. All right. I think they 12. Yeah. Okay. So you got 12 hours, taking 12 hours. Okay. So you got a full load and you're working. All right. You making it happen, sister. All right. <laughs> Very trying. good. Very good. The title of today's episode is Jails and Prisons. So segment one, segment one is for the educational and occupational guidance of high school and college students. We accomplished this, Emma, by having our guests introduce themselves. So if you would, tell the audience where you were born and raised, what high school you attended, what you plan to major in, why you enrolled in the class, and give us one career goal. Okay, so I was born in Normal at Broman, um, 20 years ago now, and I was raised in Lexington. I've been here my whole life. Um, I was in the school until about seventh grade, and then I was getting health issues from my particular class's social environment at the time. Um, it was messing with my type 1 diabetes, so my mom pulled me out. So then for high school, I went online at a place called Penn Foster and was able to get my diploma, and it was wonderful. I'm a social work major. I am very excited to get into it, which is ironic because everyone always tells me, oh, my goodness, I could never do that. And then I look at them and I go, you're a nurse. I could never do that. Or you're a doctor, whatever it might be. I don't have patience to teach like teachers do. So anyway, um, I'm really excited to get into it. One goal that I have, I guess that'll probably stay with me through my career is just to help as many people as I possibly can get them to whatever it is they need, help them to rehabilitate themselves, anything I can do. And then this class I took because I thought it would be pretty connected to my field of work in a lot of ways. Um, You come across a lot, especially because my goal is um, foster care. I'm going to work in foster care. And a lot of the there are more violent situations there where you are. You're dealing with people who will be in and out of prisons, parents who are in and out of prisons. And um, a lot of them really just need help rehabilitating so that they can have any kind of relationship with their child. That's awesome, Emma. That truly is wonderful. Well, social work, you know, you know that I used to be a probation officer and criminal justice has a social work component to it. And no matter what field you go in, you're going to be dealing with people and children who are in foster care. You know, unfortunately, 
they are removed and for whatever reason from and are taken from their biological parents. And so they need a lot of love. And so the social work area needs wonderful people like Emma Noel to <laughs> actually be a part of it. And so if I can't convince you to be a probation officer, then <laughs> working in child uh, care or working in that area would be just fine to me. All right. Moving on. Segment two, constitutional rights. Did you know at the beginning of the 80s, we had approximately 800,000 people locked away in secure prisons? Now we have over 2 million people locked up in secure prisons. Compared to the rest of the world, the United States represents about 4.2% of the world's population. But houses around 20% of the world's prisoners, with the African-American man well overrepresented. If you include probation and parole, there are approximately 7 million people in the American correctional system. Michelle Alexander, author of The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness, argues that African-American men have been targeted since the 1980s, and laws like Illinois versus Cabalas and Rodriguez versus United States were upheld by the United States Supreme Court to the detriment of black men. That said, I know that's a lot. That said, oh no, I, I'm what, up. <laughs> what is your favorite constitutional right? I have to say the eighth because it's the Eighth Amendment gives you particularly for minority individuals, if there's any kind of bias that an officer could have in approaching them about something. They they might make terrible decisions or hurt somebody unintentionally with their the way that they do their search and seizure process. Um, not just that, but the cruel and unusual punishment that I think is really important with with knowing that that bias can affect how how somebody is treated. If there's any subconscious, unconscious bias that they may not even know that they have, that they could look at somebody and and make an assumption about what they're doing or who they are. And then treat them cruelly or unusually based on that assumption when really they may not have been what they expected. Awesome, Emma, because one of the things that everybody should understand is that there are unconscious biases. I have to, as an older man, have to guard against saying that young people like yourself are just young and naive. <laughs> and you, as a young person, have to guard against saying that people like Mr. Bingham are just old and in the way. And so you are exactly right. There are biases that we have and we cannot allow those biases to actually make us do things that are contrary to what is right. And so excellent. Jails and prisons. Let's provide our audience with some important information regarding jails and prisons. There are some significant differences that separate jails from prisons. How would you define a jail? Well, jail is temporary. It's generally going to be less than a year that they're being held in jail. It's for a trial. It's for something along those lines. Um, whereas prison, you're going to be there more than a year. You, it was likely a felony or something along those lines that got you there. And yeah, you were charged with whatever, you know, you were accused of. <laughs> Excellent. Very good. The jails are exactly what you said. Short term holding facilities typically 12 months or less. And in our jails, we have 60 to 70% of the detainees 
who are not convicted yet. So that's what jails are about. They are housing individuals who are primarily waiting trial or other pretrial procedures. This is why we have the new Illinois law that deals are beginning in January. There's going to be what we call cashless bail, where individuals that commit misdemeanors and minor offenses are not going to have to pay bail or have to bond out of jail. They're going to automatically be released in a sense. I mean, you still have to go through a procedure. Go ahead. You said misdemeanors and minor offenses? Yes, yes. This is so funny. I've been hearing a whole group of people really upset about this, thinking that there would be practically murderers on the street <laughs> because of this. And really, that's, you know, that's much more reasonable. <laughs> I'm glad you I'm glad you are aware of that. I'm glad that, that you've been hearing people say that because what myself and many of our educators down at Illinois State University, us, what what many would call academians would mm-hmm. argue is that those are individuals who are really fear mongering and mm-hmm. people become outraged simply because of misinformation and fear and lies, et cetera, et cetera. So what do you think about the Illinois safety act, which will allow individuals who don't have uh, uh, money to bond out, but they've committed misdemeanors or minor offenses. I think that's really wonderful. I think oftentimes you look at people who who make misdemeanors and offenses like that, you can look into their lives and kind of understand why they got to that place. And it's even if you wouldn't have made the same decision, you can understand that they were, had reason and that they were what they were doing. Um, and I think it's good that these people who are really people that may not have access to the same resources that the rest of us have with money, that the, that they'll be able to move on with their lives much easier than they would have to if they couldn't afford it. Awesome. And in addition to that, when individuals are let out, if they do happen to commit a more serious offense, you still have pretrial where you're going to have individuals watching over them, just like you had when there was not cashless bail. Mm-hmm. And, and so nobody that will actually be released, will not have the ability or the court will not have the ability to keep tabs on them, so to speak. So we just want to define for our audience that a prison, as Emma stated, holds convicted felons sentenced to a year or more and inmates are examined, assessed and classified before assigned to a certain prison facility. You have maximum facilities, you have medium facilities, and you have minimum facilities. And individual inmates are placed according to their supervision level or according to um, that assessment. Historically, there are two types of prison systems. Can you name them, Emma? Do you remember them in your your reading or your study? The two types? I just, I was just looking at this. Oh dear. I remember that, um, wasn't one, one was older. It was much more cruel, essentially. Okay. Okay. (laughs) They involved more public humiliation and things along those lines. They were being whipped and could, yeah, cruel and unusual, I would call it. (laughs) Yeah. That would be the Pennsylvania system. (laughs) Yes. And then then go ahead. The other one, I, I don't remember the details as I should, but. I know it was much more systematic and just and the Quakers were involved in making it 
you know, better for the people. <laughs> Absolutely. And so those of you who are mad about prisoners having some of the cable TV or some of the things that maybe you don't have on the outside, we can blame the quake because the Quakers <laughs> are wonderful people and they are always looking out for prison inmates and trying to make the conditions a lot better as time has progressed. But the Pennsylvania system was really a solitary confinement type of system whereby individuals were confined, right, Emma, to one cell. They did everything in they in their cell. They exercised in their cell. They ate in their in their cell, and they did their work in the cell. But as a result of being locked up in just that little box the entire day, yeah, you right. Emma is like taking her finger and circling it around her head, saying basically that people went insane and that people began to go crazy for a lack of words. And so it actually proved to be too expensive because as a result of that uh, being locked down all day like that, it caused really some serious mental health situations uh, for the inmates. And so then usher in the Auburn system, congregate work system prevails over the Pennsylvania model. It's where cells were stacked on top of each other, known as inside cell block architecture, uh, developing a tier system. And so with that type of system, we began to let inmates out of their cells and we began to have what is called the congregate system. Do you remember what that is? They were all in one place rather than all separate and individual cells. <laughs> okay. Right. Right. They actually got to like eat together. Like you said, they were all together. They got to like eat together and they began Gather. to work outside the prison and then they would go back to their cells at night. All right. Very good. So those are the two systems from which our current prisons and jail systems have evolved from. All right, let's move on. Segment three, being a voice for change. As an emerging adult who grew up in predominantly white America, what say Emma about white supremacy and Black Lives Matter? <laughs> the first is real and the second is true. White supremacy, you know, contrary to popular belief around here, people seem to hear it and just think, oh, my life was hard. You know, my father came out of uh, World War II and I, I had to work my fingers to the bone and I didn't have it easy. I don't have some kind of leg up over these other people. That's kind of what they think. But then they don't realize that it's not it's not like that. Everybody has those struggles. Everybody has those things that everyone's family has that or had to work really hard or whatever. It's about the fact that because society tends to perceive Black people in a more negative way, they tend to be treated differently, not offered the same opportunities, or at least, you know, they are interacted with very differently, and it's not fair to them. And that's what white supremacy is about. It's not, it's all of the things that we don't have to think about that aren't roadblocks for us, that are roadblocks for anybody who is less white than we are. <laughs> awesome. Emma. Very good. All right. What, I ask all my guests, what would you like to see the Biden administration accomplish? And I got to read this to the audience, what Emma said in the pre-survey. She said, I'd love for the Biden administration to federalize critical race theory in schools. I couldn't believe this. Coming from a white <laughs> emerging adult, 
<laughs> as well as start several mass education programs on what it truly is. It has nothing to do with perpetuating feelings of guilt. Instead, it helps us understand race relations here in America. And so I got to ask you to expound on that. I have heard so, so, so much living where I live. It's it's there is a certain political atmosphere where I live. It's very strong. It's very prevalent. You will see a back the blue sign every two houses. Right. OK. It's um, I hear a lot about how critical race theory is. Oh, no, they just basically it's like, oh, the government wants to make us feel bad about what happened in the past. They, they are they are blaming people and inadvertently they're blaming black people without realizing they're doing it they're blaming them for being upset over the past when really they're the ones caught up on the past they're, the whole thing is that they want us to better the situations that are here now they want us to do what we can when we see the mess that we've caused to turn around and fix that that's all that they're anybody is asking of us really um critical race theory It explains, you know, it looks at history. It looks at what people did back then. And it goes, okay, so these are all the steps that that it took for us to get here. These are all of the steps, all of the roots for all the way that things are now. This is how it happened. That's all that critical race theory is. It has nothing to do with biological differences or any one race being more malicious than the other. Very good, Emma. Certainly. When you talk about black history, nobody's trying to make anybody uncomfortable or feel bad about anything. It's just a matter of understanding where you come from. So then you're Mm -hmm. not repeating things and you're also trying to make things very, very good. Emma, awesome. Defunding the police. I also got to state what you said about this. You (laughs) said this is a question. I'm not quite comfortable answering concretely, especially as a white person still learning about Systemic nature of racism in our country. I know that I lack the perspective of individuals personally affected by the disparities in treatment from the police. While I believe there must be some sort of correctional system in place, I recognize that our system has been set up in a manner conducive to bias killings and other gut-wrenching unnecessary violence. I also recognize that parts of our police system resemble the slave patrol And that wickedness should be abolished. So I got to ask you, can you expand a little bit on what you mean by slave patrol? So, you know, back when there were slaves, enslaved people trying to escape the horrendous conditions that were forced on them, they they would be hunted down by police with dogs and lights and on horseback. And and they would chase and pursue them so intently like they were pursuing some kind of monster. And you sometimes see this, a similar nature in how the police hunt down and pursue any kind of criminal, let alone a black one that, you know, anything that might be happening there, socially speaking. Um, It just very much resembles that. Plus the way that um, the slave patrol would tackle and um, anything like they would tackle them, they would use any unnecessary physical means. And we can see that happening still. In situations like with George Floyd or Breonna Taylor, any of these people who were put in terrible situations because of bias. Wonderful, Emma. Wonderful. All right. And then finally, free community college. (laughs) You said these kinds of educational facilities are meant to enrich the community. What did you mean by that? 
So I think a lot of people, you know, their mind is really based on what's making money and what's that. It's they're thinking about the economics of it all. Um, so then they go, oh, community, community college, it should never be free. The, everyone's that's somebody's paying for that. You know, I hear that a lot. Somebody's paying for that. The thing is, it's not so much about the giving these personal students their the life they want without them having to work for it. It has nothing to do with that. Rather, it is, yeah, enriching the community. It's it's uh, educating these people and then putting them back out into the community that they may better the community that they're in with their newfound education. Wonderful. Excellent, Emma. <laughs> well, I just want to say that you've been a wonderful guest. The criminal <laughs> justice you. system, social work system needs a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful person like yourself. And if you ever need Mr. Bingham for anything, you just let me know. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Jails and prisons define the Pennsylvania and Auburn system, how laws can target a certain population and what can be done to make America a better place to live. Until next time, keep living your best life. God bless and God speak. (laughs) 